My mindset before I talk to somebody about Christ is to share his love and to just love on the women that I encounter. I volunteer for Rahab Ministries and I head up the street ministry uh, for that program and we walk the streets every Friday and just share the love of Jesus to women on the streets that are brokenhearted and addicted to drugs and whatever else they have going on in their life. So my mindset really before I talk to anybody about Christ is it's just simply being open and, and showing love. Um, in the mornings I, I do my best to, to get up and I, I say a prayer to have an open mind and be aware of the people who are around me and possible situations they might be in. When I think about um, wanting to be intentional about talking about Christ, I Lately, I've been really trying to remind myself of what it was like when I was lost before I had made my commitment to Christ. And I think, I think that's been helpful um, because then I can, I can put myself to a certain degree in their shoes and, and understand um, kind of that fear, the fear of judgment, I think. You know, it's ultimately what's there when you don't know the Lord is that there's no security. And uh, so remembering that, I think, has helped me. That was Christy and John and Lisa, and they're all part of this campus. And we asked them the question. I think it's a I think it's a cool question to hear um, people that love Jesus and want to help other people know who He is. I think it's cool to hear how they answer that question. The question we asked them was, "What's your mindset before you speak to somebody about Jesus?" Like, what, are you, what goes through your head? What are you, what are you thinking? Why, like, why do you even do it, you know? Like, isn't that pushing our beliefs on other people? You know, like, I'm taught, we're taught in this culture that that's wrong. Like, you could believe whatever it is that you want to believe. What's true for you is true for you. It's true for me is true for me. As long as we don't, like, push what we believe on somebody else, everything is fine. Like, what is our mindset? Why would we even care to go out and talk to people about who Jesus is. And I think it was really interesting. So all this is like obviously unscripted, you know, like we didn't tell them anything to say. And I think it was really interesting that each of them, um, what came across, like what drives them, like what's in their mind as they think about talking to other people about God is love, right? Like did you catch that? Each of them in, in kind of different ways and different words talked about loving people, and having compassion on people and, and like genuinely wanting to help, to like to connect with people and come alongside of them with humility, right? I was reminded this past week of um, one, of my, one of my friends, one of my oldest friends, I think we met in sixth grade, his name was Kevin. And th this is, good. that next slide, this is a picture of uh, us, there we go, playing basketball. I'm the one on the right with the amazing hair. It was amazing at that time. I used to have magnificent hair. Anyway, um, that's me on the right there. That's Kevin on the left. Kevin and I met in middle school. So I think this was eighth grade. We met in sixth grade. And uh, so we went through middle school together. We went to high school together. We went to college. I went to a different college my first couple years. And then I transferred. We went to the rest of our college together. And um, Kevin was a guy who was a little different than a lot of the rest of us in school. And so Kevin was a Christian. And uh, when, I, when I met him, he was a Christian. And, and by Christian, I don't mean that he went to church. 
because I went to church a lot, actually. We, we went to church a lot. Um, but he was different than I was. Like, Kevin had something that I didn't have at that point in my life. And I knew it. Like, I could, I could see it. Like, there is something about him that was different than me. And Kevin was just a good dude. Like, he, he was a funny guy. Like, my memory of Kevin in middle school, this is what he would do regularly in middle school at lunchtime. His mom would pack him grapes in his lunch. And so the challenge every time he had grapes was to see how many grapes he could fit into his mouth at one time. He had a big mouth. Like, how many he could fit in there at one time before he coughed or choked or, like, spit them all over the place. It was amazing. That's Kevin. Like, that's who he was. Just a great, great guy. Silly guy. And I remember, like, Kevin would ask us. Kevin was... He went to a different church than any of the rest of us, and I remember how often he would ask us to go to church with him, like to go to church things. So the church that he was a part of was kind of a bigger church, and they had like a lot of youth stuff. And so he would invite us to go to like these youth events, you know, and sometimes we would go, and it would be fun, it would be cool, and then other times we wouldn't go, and we're like, Kevin, stop, stop asking us. No, I'm not going to go to that. We're not going to do that. And yet he never stopped. Like he never stopped asking us, and, and in school... And just in our relationships with him, Kevin wasn't somebody who was like pushy about his faith, about his Christian faith. He wasn't like trying to push it on us. We never, we never felt that. And yet he wasn't shy about his faith either. Like he didn't like pretend that he was just like the rest of us. Like he kind of, he kind of let his light shine. And I remember there are things that Kevin wouldn't do that we would do. You know, like the bad stuff that we would do as teenagers. Like he didn't, he didn't participate in that. And yet we never felt like. He was, you know, looking down his nose at us in judgment. We knew that Kevin was our boy, like he was our buddy, and we knew that he loved us. And I, this went on for years, like literally seven, eight years. So I met him in sixth grade, my sophomore year, after my sophomore year in college, um, after, I guess, eight years of Kevin, like, just being an influence on all of us, on all of us friends. After eight years, God started to stir something inside of me. And uh, I remember, like, just feeling empty, you know, during that time. And um, not, not being able to do anything to fill that emptiness, you know. So I tried to cope with it like I had coped up to that point, you know, kind of the self-medicating thing where either I'm drinking or partying or uh, just hanging out with my friends, like, to not think about that. And yet, um, it never went away. And um, eventually I started to feel really guilty. Like up to that point, it was funny, when I was a kid, I've had a lot of guilt with things. And then I didn't experience much guilt at all, like through middle school and high school, first couple years of college. And then I started feeling really guilty at this point because I was doing wrong stuff that I knew was wrong, that I knew that I shouldn't be doing. And it was like, I hated that feeling of guilt. And so looking back now, I can go, I think that was the Holy Spirit. Like I think God was like, no, look at your life, look at the things that you're doing, it's not okay, you know? I think it's convicting me of my sin. So anyway, at that point, and I've shared this part of my story in the past, uh, my dad invited me uh, to go to this men's conference, this Christian men's conference, it used to be really popular 20 years ago, it's called Promise Keepers. And so we went, it was, at, uh, it was in Pittsburgh, Three River Stadium in Pittsburgh. My dad invited me to go. And so I said yes. Part of the reason that I said yes was because my dad asked me. Part of the reason, the other part of the reason I said yes is because I knew my friend Kevin was going as well. And so Kevin, his dad was friends with my dad. And so I go to this conference and it was that weekend that changed everything for me. Like that was the weekend when I went, I get it. God loves me. 
He, he gives me this gift that I can't earn. I can't do anything to make myself worthy of it. He gives me this gift of forgiveness, of, of salvation, of peace with him. Like it was that weekend that I got it. And I remember, it's a little fuzzy. Like all the details are a little fuzzy. Some are crystal clear. But I remember we had to walk down to the, like down all the steps in the stadium, down to the front. And uh, you know who was by my side when I did that? Kevin. Like that, that time, I look back and I think, eight years. Like this dude was next to me for eight years. Eight years of me acting like a knucklehead. Eight years of pride and arrogance and selfishness for me. Eight years of emptiness and sin. And Kevin never gave up on me. I was texting him this week. I'm like, dude, I'm going to talk about you this weekend. You should listen to me. I'm going to talk about you. Like just remembering what a good friend he was to me because he should have given up on me lots of different times because I pushed him away and pushed him away and pushed him away. And yet he was God's instrument in my life. I told him this week, I said, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing probably if it wasn't for you doing what you did in my life. I think that's humbling. That's humbling. This weekend we're starting a new series. John kind of alluded to it earlier. Um, a new series that we've been very, very excited about. It's called Go, Reaching People with God's Love. And we said this is, this is a really important series for us because this is um, our hope and what we've been praying for is that this is a series that kind of helps define our culture here at, at our campus. So if you don't know, if you're newer to uh, Grace Church or to this campus, we've been going for about two and a half years now. And so we planted this campus about two and a half years ago. And, you know, during that time, you're, you're, we're young. We're like still toddlers, I guess, in, in church world. And so we're still kind of figuring out a little bit of who we are. And so the series we look at, and we're like, I, we want this series to, to be part of defining who we are. And so we've been praying, like, that God would use this to, uh, to light, to ignite something inside of us, to stir something inside of us that our faith, and, and I realize this, we're all at different points in our faith as we sit here this morning. It's cool. Some have been Christians for a long time and you're like all in, committed. Others are like, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out if this is the right thing for me. It's cool. It's fine. We're all at different points. But the hope is that this series will make us go, you know what? My faith is really significant to me and, and it's personal to me, but it's not private to me. Do you know what I'm saying by that? Personal. So like I need to interact with God personally. Each of us is sit here in this room. I need to interact with God personally. I am personally responsible to him and I am personally accountable to him. So my interaction to God is not through, you know, my parents or my friends or my spouse or my pastor or anything like that. Like I am personally responsible and accountable to God. And so my faith is personal in that sense, but it's not private, right? My faith was never meant to be private. It's not something that I'm supposed to keep to myself. My faith in God, my relationship with God is not just for me. No matter what our culture may try to convince us of, like you and me, if you sit here today and you're a follower of Jesus, this is good news. And it's good news that's not meant to be kept to ourselves. It's good news that's meant to be shared with other people. And so the hope is that we get, like through this series and these discussions, we have this sense of urgency inside of us. And if we don't feel that, here, I'll challenge you this way. If we don't feel that urgency, if you sit here today and you're like, I am a Christian, and you don't feel an urgency to tell other people about the God that you love, there's, some, there's a disconnect there. There's, there's something that you're not getting. Right? Because this is incredible news. 
And so last spring, we did a series, so I'm excited for this series. Last spring, we did another uh, really important series for us that we called Reach. And so that was our two-year mark as our campus. And we're like, okay, we're two years old. What do we need to do in the next couple years to like help us become the church that God desires that we be? And so we talked about four things during that series. One of them was belong. And we said, man, we, have, we all have this sense, this need for belonging, every single one of us in our lives. And so we said, one of our goals is going to be to help people be in deep relationships with each other. We just finished a series on relationships. That's part of that. But we want to help people be in deep, committed, intimate relationships with one another. It's really important. So belong. The second thing we talked about was serve. Then we said, we want to help people understand how they're wired understand how they're gifted so that they could use their personality and they could use their gifts as a way to serve other people, as a way to be a blessing to other people. The third thing that we talked about was uh, give. We said give. We talked about generosity. We said if we could just get um, each of us to understand that everything that we've been given in this life, every blessing, every good thing that you have, all of your needs being met, many of our wants being met are ultimately from God. God has generously provided all those things for us, then it helps us go, I now generously want to give to other people. I want to take the abundance that I have and I want to be a blessing to other people. And then the last thing, the fourth thing that we talked about, we, kind of, we connected two things. We talked about praying and going. And we said we want to help people understand the importance of talking to God, of listening to God, of living in dependence of God, in space, dependence, being dependent upon God. Right? Because ultimately, God is the one who changes us. He's the one that, tra- just like in my life, like eight years of going, Kevin, stop, just stop. Eventually, God goes, no, you need to stop. He did something inside of me. Right? And then we connected that with this idea of going. So as I'm like empowered by my prayer, by my conversation with God, my goal is to go out and tell other people about this God who is so, so good. And so this discussion, these next few weeks, as we talk about this Go series, is kind of the next step in this big goal that we have of helping our folks pray and go and give the gospel away. So if, you're part, if you've been part of Grace Church, um, any of our campuses, one of our uh, mantras, I don't know, it's not the right word, sayings that we have around here, our DNA, we would say is know it, live it, give it away, right? Know it, live it, give it away. And we'll talk more about what that means in the coming months. But essentially, we see this, the Bible, describing a disciple, somebody who knows, loves, and follows Jesus. A disciple is somebody who knows it, who lives it, and who gives it away. And we would say, it is the gospel, right? So a disciple is somebody who knows the gospel, who lives out the gospel in their life, and who gives the gospel away. And so we get to know it, we get to know the gospel through this, through like reading and studying God's word, and then through this, by talking to him and listening to him, right? We, we start to live it. We start to live out the gospel in our lives, also through prayer, talking to him, and then allowing God to transform us. Sometimes we can think, the way that I, that I live as a Christian is I try really hard to live as a Christian. No, that's not how we live as a Christian. The way that I live as a Christian is I allow the Holy Spirit leadership in my life, right? And he transforms me from the inside out. Then sin is like, eh, I don't want to do that gross. Like we start to feel the way that God feels toward things and we start to want to live for him, right? But it's the gospel. It's God's Holy Spirit inside of us that does it. And then give it away. We start to give the gospel away to others. 
through prayer, through talking to him, God ignites this deep love for us of other people. And we go, I want them to experience the God that he's allowed me to experience. I want them to have the hope that God has given me, right? So we give it away. So we say the gospel, and, and I, in this last series, I said this every week, and I made a big deal out of it, and I, and I believe it with all my heart. The gospel's got to drive everything that we do, right? If, I, if you sit here this morning and you're like, I am a Christian, the gospel should drive our lives. The gospel drives my thinking, know it, right? My understanding, know it. It drives my doing, right? And like my personal holiness, live it. It drives me going out and loving people enough to give them the hope that I have in Jesus. Give it away. The gospel drives everything. It's what drove us to plant this campus two and a half years ago. Like we, we got a campus two and a half miles away. It's in Norton. It's not far away from here. But we look at Barbara and we're like, man, we love this community. And there was a ton of hurt and a ton of pain and a ton of darkness in this community. And there's a lot of people that wouldn't go from Barberton to Norton. And so we're going to go to them. We're going to plant a campus right here. We want to give it away. The gospel drives all of that. So I got, I got three hopes for this series. The first hope is that um, what we talk about here like defines our culture. You know, it, it like adds to who we are as a campus and it ignites something inside of us where we, we develop this passion and urgency to tell other people about Jesus. That's my first hope. My second hope is that maybe we would take a little bit of pressure off of us because as we talk about uh, talking to other people about Jesus Christ, we can feel a lot of pressure like, oh, I'm scared to do that. I got to do it the right way. I got to have all the, what if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? What do I do then? I hope that in this conversation of these next few weeks, we could take a little bit of that pressure off. And so instead of feeling pressure, we feel freedom and we feel excitement and we feel joy to talk about God and what he's done in our lives. That's the second thing. The third thing is, and I don't know how, how else to say that, I hope that um, we can have a real, raw, honest conversation about how to lovingly talk to people about God in a way that's not weird, <laughs> like that's not uncomfortable and not unnatural, you know, that's not disingenuous. Like we want to talk to people in a way that's genuine and loving, right? So that's, a, that's kind of a big goal for this series as well. So I want you to see this series is really just a four-week conversation about how you and I can have genuine, loving, intentional conversations with other people about God. That's the whole po the point of this series. Make sense? Okay, so why don't we do this? Why don't you grab a Bible if you would. Uh, if you don't have one, we've got a table full of them back there. Doug is ready to go. If you slip your hand up, he'll give you a Bible. You could also follow along in your phone if you want to. We're going to throw it up on the screen as well. I think it helps to see it in front of you. Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Acts chapter 1, okay? There's a name that God calls us in this passage that is really helpful for me as I think about what it looks like to go, to give it away, to give the gospel away. There's actually two kind of big categorical names that God calls us in the Bible connected with this context of telling other people about him, telling other people about what Jesus has done. One is in Acts chapter 1. That's where you're flipping. The other one, I don't want you to flip there. We'll throw it up on the screen, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to read you just this little snippet. We're going to kind of just jump right in here and jump back out. But I want to read you this. See if you can pick out what God calls us in this passage. This is what it says. This is 2 Corinthians 5. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, 
and he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Did you catch that? What do we call them there? His ambassadors, right? We're called Christ's ambassadors. And we know generally what an ambassador is. Like we have ambassadors in our world today. I was looking up a couple definitions here. Um, An ambassador is a messenger or an envoy officially representing a higher authority. So it's a messenger or an envoy representing somebody else, right? Another definition was someone acting as an authorized representative for a sovereign ruler or a country. You're an authorized representative. When I think of ambassador, what Jesus calls us here, when I think of ambassador, I just th- I think of a representative, right? Like that helps me understand what my role is when we talk about going, reaching people with God's love. I'm Jesus' ambassador. That's one name that he calls us, right? There's a second name that he calls us. I'm going to jump out of that passage. I want to jump into the passage that you flipped to there on your left. There's a second name that Jesus calls us um, that I think, I, this is where I kind of want to land um, for the rest of our time together, that I think is really significant in us understanding what our role is to go. So here's what it is. This is Acts chapter 1. See if you can figure out the name that God calls us here. So I actually want to start at the beginning. We're going we're gonna to land in verse 8 here, but I think it helps to give us a little context. So he says, in my former book, Theophilus, so a guy named Luke writes this book, writes the book of Acts. And so if you guys don't know, Luke is the same guy that wrote a gospel. So the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are four accounts, four stories of Jesus' life and death. Okay? And Luke, a guy named Luke, wrote one of those. And that's kind of part one to what Luke writes. Luke writes a gospel, and then he writes the book of Acts. And so we're kind of in the second part, and he writes to a guy named Theophilus, which may be a specific guy, maybe kind of a group of people. Um, I think it's a specific guy. So this is what he writes. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he so he kind of gives a little bit of a, of a summary of what Jesus did here. He says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he, so this is after he died on the cross and rose again, right? He, was, he kind of hung out with them for 40 days. One time he was eating with them. He gave them this command. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you, gonna, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of, to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. All right, so what are we called here? Witnesses, right? So we're called ambassadors or representatives and we're also called witnesses. I was um, reading the news this week, and I saw that O.J. Simpson, this is, this is the week, last week, that O.J. Simpson was released from prison. And so I, 
I hadn't like remembered all of the specifics about his story. So 1994 is kind of when all this stuff went down with OJ. He, so he just got released from a Nevada correctional facility. He was, if you remember, he wasn't in there for the murder of his wife, Nicole Brown Simpson and John, uh, uh, Goldman, I forget his first name, uh, Goldman. He wasn't in there for that. He actually got off for that. But he was in there for kidnapping and robbery charges. It's kind of a bizarre thing. That was back in 2008. So he spent the last nine years in prison. So I was thinking about you know, him getting out of prison and you know, that court case and all of that and how huge it was. Uh, if you were alive back then, how huge it was. And I start thinking about us as witnesses, like you and me as a witness for Jesus. And it reminded me of like, got to be the most famous witness in the history of court cases in the United States. Do you remember who it is? Cato Kalin. Remember this guy? Great hair. Another guy with great hair, right? Cato Kalin, it's interesting. He, in 1994, no, before 1994, no one knew who he was. He was like a nobody actor. He was in such hit films as Beach Fever in 1987. <laughs> And Night Shadow in 1989, films we've never heard of. No one had ever heard who Cato uh, Kalin was. But on that fateful night in the summer of 1994, as he was, like, let's be honest, freeloading in, in O.J. Simpson's mansion, he's just kind of hanging out in the guest house, and he witnesses this murder, whether it's O.J., I guess we'll never know, whether it's O.J. or somebody else murdering Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman. And so Cato's story, if you remember, it's fascinating. Cato's story contradicted O.J.'s story. So in the trial, he was a huge, huge witness. He was a huge witness for the prosecution, even though he was clearly annoying to and frustrating to the prosecutor, uh, Marsha Clark. You remember this? So she's the one that called him to the stand. She actually had him um, designated as a hostile witness, her own, her own witness, a hostile witness. And yet his testimony was so powerful for her case. It was really interesting. And so I read, I tell you all this, I read this survey um, it, that was done right around that time, uh, around 1994, 1995, done by Vanity Fair, which, you know, I don't know how scientific of a survey it was, but done by Vanity Fair. And what they found was 25% of our country at that time knew who the, could recognize the vice president of the United States, which was Al Gore. 25% could recognize him. 74% knew who Cato Kalin was. Isn't that fascinating? And yet, it's interesting, now, 23 years later, Right? Later than that time in 1994, when he was a witness in this, in this you know, incredibly publicized murder case, it still, all of that still defines his life. Right? 23 years later, what does anybody remember Cato Kalin for? O.J. Simpson. Right? All these years later, he's still connected to O.J. Why do I share that with you? Because strangely enough, I never thought I'd say this in a sermon, strangely enough, Cato Kalin, as a witness for O.J. Simpson, actually shares a lot of similarities with you and I being a witness for Jesus Christ. And here's what I mean by that. That word witness that, that Jesus uses there in Acts chapter 1, what it means is someone who sees or experiences an event and reports what happened. That's what a witness, that's what that word means. Someone who sees or experiences an event and then report what, reports what happened. Most often that word was used in court cases, right? Like, as, as testimony. 
But it's interesting. There's a stronger sense in the original language, in the Greek that that word's written in, there's a stronger sense to that word. That real word, the Greek word that we translated as witness is also the word that we get our English word martyr from. If you, if you read it in the Greek, it, it almost sounds exactly like the word martyr. We get our English word martyr from it. You know what a martyr is, right? A martyr is someone who dies a violent death for their faith. That's what a martyr is. And so you start to think about that. There's a sense that being a witness for Jesus, the kind of witness that he calls us, is more than just you know, being, uh, giving testimony in a court case that really costs me nothing except my time. The kind of witness that Jesus calls us here is different. It's like there's a, a, a per, he's a, we're a permanent witness. We're a lifelong witness. The kind of witness whose life is defined by the one that they're testifying about over and over and over again. And that testimony that they're witnessing, that they're giving to other people, is testimony that could ultimately cost his or her life. This is the kind of witness that Jesus calls you and me. And so I got a question for you. If you sit here this morning and you would identify yourself as a Christian, let me ask you, what kind of witness are you for Christ? And, and I don't say that to make any of us feel guilty, like, oh yeah, I should be doing better. I should be, I, I don't, like, take, take an inventory of your life. Like, how is your life testifying to what he's done? How is your life testifying to who he is? Are you a lifelong witness? Are you a permanent witness? Are you a witness whose life is defined by the one that you're testifying about over and over and over again? Are you a witness who's willing to tell what you've witnessed even if it costs you your life, right? That's the kind of witness that Jesus calls us to. So what does it even mean? Like what, is, what does that even mean for you and me today 21st century Northeast Ohio, what does it mean for us to be a witness for Jesus? Well, actually, I want, to I want to lean into that question a little bit. And I want to give you a few things to consider. Like, what does this look like in our lives here today? I, I always chuckle at how many people, maybe, I don't know if it's unique to the United States or not, like how many people want to be famous? You know, like it doesn't matter what they're famous for. They just like want to make a name for themselves. They want to, they want to be known by other people and be famous. Um, it doesn't matter what they're famous for. And then there's this whole industry that's set up to like help people make a name for themselves. And so I was reading an article this past week. It caught my eye. The, the title of the article was 22 Little Known Ways to Make a Name for Yourself. And I thought, oh, this should be interesting. So I read this article and it... <laughs> It was one of the dumbest things I've ever read in my entire life. So I thought I would share a couple of these things with you. So if you want to make a name for yourself, this is how you do it. Ready? Here's, here's, I'll give you three of the things that they say in here. Ask the unaskable. Whatever question people assume can't be asked is exactly the question that you should ask first. Mm, brilliant, right? How about this one? Court the irrational. I love this one. Never overlook the strategy of remaining completely irrational, unreasonable, illogical, and insane. Sanity is overrated anyways. How absurd are you willing to be? It's genius, right? Blow your mind. Okay, how about this one? Eliminate the losers. Hang out with people who make money, not people who want to learn how you make money. Do you need richer friends? Yes, that's exactly what I need is richer friends, right? 
How about this, one? this This last one? This is like how he summarized this whole thing. Maybe you want to write this down and put it on a sticky note in your bathroom mirror so you see it every day. This is what he says. Remember, if you want to make a name for yourself, start becoming the living brochure of your own awesomeness. Yes! Make sure you write that down. It's the best thing you're going to get from the sermon today here. Yeah. Anyway, God, guys, like being a witness for Jesus isn't about us making a name for ourselves. Like you, and, and we can be very tempted to do that, e- even in subtle ways. Like it doesn't have to look like the Kardashians, right? Like we can try to make a name for ourselves in other ways. Being a witness for Jesus isn't about us making a name for ourselves. Being a witness for Jesus is about making the name of Jesus famous, right? This is the first thing. I have like one point that I want to kind of write down, that I'd love for you guys to write down, and I'll just kind of build on it throughout our time here this morning. Being a witness is making the name of Jesus famous. Being a witness. We're, we're his ambassador, and we're his witness. Being a witness, the first part of it is making the name of Jesus famous. Listen, listen to these Psalms. Psalm 102. But you, O Lord, will sit on your throne forever. Your fame will endure to every generation. Uh, Psalm 135, your name, O Lord, endures forever, and your fame, O Lord, is known to every generation. Psalm 105 talks about our responsibility. Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, not what we have done. Guys, this, this is our job. Being a witness is me making the name of Jesus famous. It's not making me famous. It's not about me. It's about Christ in me right? I no longer live. I have been crucified in Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Like that's the first part, I think, for us in being a witness for Jesus as we live to make the name of Jesus famous. Look, look back at our passage um, in Acts 1. Look at verse 8, Acts 1, 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in, Jude- in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's a really significant verse for us. The last part of that verse, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, that's like concentric circles. What that means is, like, we go out everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The first part of that verse is really important for us to get. So Jesus is talking very specifically to his disciples in this passage, right? And he says, they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them to be Jesus's witnesses. So he's talking to the disciples. However, it's very clear in the Bible that this promise isn't just to the original disciples, but it extends to us today as well. There are numerous places in the New Testament that say, in a nutshell, they basically say, if you're a Christian, you got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, giving you power and changing you from the inside out. So, so begin to think about that. Like, begin to apply that personally to your life. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, giving you power. What does that mean? You're not alone. You're not alone. Right? Like as we talk about going out, giving the gospel away, you're never alone. You have a friend. In fact, you have a powerful friend living inside of you, empowering you, giving us the words to share, with, opening doors for conversations with people if we're willing to walk through those doors. It's the same, Romans 8 says, it's the same power living inside of you and me, if you love Jesus, that raised Jesus from the dead. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of you and me. Like think, just spend time this week thinking about that. That's an incredible thought. 
So, so let's add to our statement. Being a witness is making the name of Jesus famous, not alone, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's making the name of Jesus famous, but we never have to do it alone. We're empowered by God, the very Spirit of God living inside of us. I keep thinking about that, that video, we call it a bumper video, right before the sermon. And I, and I, I love how each of them, again, I, like totally unscripted, how each of them, their mindset in talking to people about Jesus is all driven by love. And that fleshes itself out in various ways, but it's all driven by love. And it reminded me of something um, a guy said. There's a video to this I'm going to show you here in a second. I didn't know there was a video. John told me this. But there's a guy named um, Penn Gillette, right? You guys know who that is? Penn Gillette? Penn and Teller? You know those guys? A little short guy and a big tall guy. The tall guy with long hair uh, is, is Penn, Penn Gillette. And if you don't know anything about him, he is a pretty outspoken atheist. Like he, he would say, in fact, I think in the video I'm going to show you, he says it, um, I know there is no God. Like he's, he's real clear. I, I pr- really appreciate his honesty. I know that there is no God. So he's a real outspoken atheist. And it was really interesting. This is a, a few years ago now. But after one of his shows, somebody came up to him who was a Christian. And I think he must have that happen relatively regularly. But this guy was different because he came up and, um, and like was genuine with him and, and loving. Like he just made this loving, genuine impression on him and he gave him a Bible. And I want you to see, this is a three minute video, it's kind of long, but it's, I think it's worth our time. I want you to see how this guy's love and genuineness made an impact on Pendulette. Make sense? Check it out, roll this video. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought I said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm I'm sane, I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth 
telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize. It's powerful, isn't it? I'm going to read what he said again. He said, if you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell and not getting eternal life, or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe in everlasting life, to believe that it's possible, and not tell them about it? That's a powerful statement. You know, this is coming from somebody who doesn't believe anything that you know, maybe a lot of us or most of us believe. And, it, and it's very humbling for us. It's kind of uncomfortable for, for us to admit he's right, you know? He's right. Guys, let, let, me, let me add to our statement here. Being a witness is making the name of Jesus famous, not alone, powered by the Holy Spirit, with genuine love. Like, you look at him, and you're like, what's, what's stuck out to him there? Like, what was so powerful to him about this guy coming to him? And giving him this Bible. He probably had lots of people do that before. But this guy was different. What was different? He was genuine. And he loved him. Right? Like you and I have got to get over this fear and anxiety that we have of creating an awkward conversation. We've got to get over that so that we could do the most loving thing that we could possibly. So we could care about people enough to give them the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And if we don't, what does that really say about what we believe? You know, like, what, what, what does it say? And, and I appreciate, you know, what he said. He, he used the word sane three times. <laughs> Did you catch that? I think that's interesting. He's like, he wasn't a crazy guy, you know? Like, we, we don't, we don't want to come across, we already believe a crazy thing. God became man, he lived perfectly, he died and then rose again. And we could be forgiven through him. That is, that is an absurd belief if it wasn't true. And so like not, I don't know, like sharing with people in a deep, genuine way is so important for us. Being a witness is doing it with genuine love. Let me, let me give you one more thing here before I wrap up. When I think about giving the gospel away to other people, this is another thing that the Bible talks about that just kind of helps me understand what my role is. Uh, let, me, let me read you three quick verses here. You are, this is Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. This is Jesus talking. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Acts 13, for this is what the Lord has commanded. I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. 2 Corinthians 4, for God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. 
What's my role as a witness? To be a light, right? To light the world. I'm a light to the world. And, and can I tell you something that you already know? Uh, there's a lot of darkness in our world, right? Like there's, there's a lot of darkness all around us, everywhere. And, and maybe even some of us are living in darkness right now. And, and we feel it, right? You and me, part of what it means for us to be a witness, we have the light of God's glory in the face of Christ living inside of us. And so we let our light shine. And I love how Jesus said it. He said, you don't put a, light, you don't put a bowl over the light. Like, what does it look like for you to let your light shine? If you sit here this morning and you're a Christian, what does it look like for you to let your light shine? Let, let me end this way. I was um, in, in like my own quiet time with the Lord. I, I, we've been uh, reading through the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet in the Old Testament. So he was a, a guy that God used to speak to Israel. God spoke to him. He spoke to Israel. And so Israel at that time was very rebellious. They were rebelling against God. And so God used Isaiah as a light to them. And in Isaiah chapter 6, you have this, this amazing image Isaiah gets this vision with God where he's like in the very throne room of God and he sees God sitting on his throne and says his robe is like filling the temple. You know, he sees God's glory. He gets this raw, unfiltered view of God's awesomeness and majesty, right? And he sees these angelic beings. They're called seraphim flying all around, I guess, God. And they're saying, this is what they're saying in deep booming voices. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And as Isaiah is sitting there and he sees this vision, all of a sudden, the first thought that comes to him is, oh no. He becomes very aware of his own weakness. He's in the, in the, the presence of the majesty of God. And he's like, oh no, I'm sinful right? He's aware of his sin and weakness. And so he cries out and he says, woe to me, I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim, one of the angelic beings comes to him with a hot coal and, it, and he touches his mouth to kind of release, to take away his guilt and his shame. And then the next scene is God speaking. And here's what God says. He says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? He's saying, whom shall I send out into the world to be a light to Israel? Whom shall I send out into the world to be a light in the darkness? And I love Isaiah's response. Isaiah, I imagine him like excitedly raising his hand and he says, here I am, send me. Here I am, God, send me. And guys, I think about that and I think, that's the response I want to have in my life. Because I've never seen in a vision the throne room of God and seraphim and all of that sort of stuff. But I have had an experience with God in my life that is transformative. It has changed me from the inside out and forever. And maybe even, I don't know, maybe even it's a more complete vision that we have because now we know who Jesus is right? Like we've seen God in flesh. We, we, have, we have this and we see what he values, what he loves, what he hates, who he loves, how he is, right? And here's, here's my question. 
I stand here today because my friend Kevin and others said, here am I, choose me. And I'll bet you, you guys sit here today because you have other people in your life in the past or maybe right now who have said to God, here I am, send me. And they've told you and they're telling you about who Jesus is. Here's my question to you. Are you willing to be a witness for him? I get, am I willing to be a witness? Am I willing to not try to make a name for myself, but make the name of Jesus famous? Do I recognize that I'm not alone, but I have the Holy Spirit of God empowering me in my life to go out and do this with genuine love to be a light in the darkness? You've had people do it in your life just like I have. How about you? Are you willing to do that in other people's lives? Guys, in the next few weeks of this series, this is what we're going to be talking about. And we're going to be challenging each other. And we'll be real and we'll be honest. And, you know, but I, I hope and pray. Here's my challenge to you. Go home this week and ask the Lord to show you people in your life that he needs you to be a witness to. Because they're going to be different than mine. And they're going to be different from each other. God has people in our lives that he's strategically put there so that you and I could be the light. Talk to him this week and ask him who that is.